is an Odyssey original. This is Coronavirus Daily. I'm Charles Feldman. I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. Uh, it's here. It's not really a surprise. We were expecting it. The Omicron variant now in the U.S. found in a person in San Francisco traveled back from South Africa. The person fully vaccinated. Now, that person has uh, mild symptoms, is apparently recovering. So should we panic or just keep doing what we're doing? Still a lot we don't know about uh Omicron and the vaccines, and is it more transmissible than Delta? Is it more severe? Anne Ramoyne joins us again and maybe can answer some of these questions. She's a professor of epidemiology and infectious diseases at UCLA's Fielding School of Public Health. Anne, how concerned should we all be? Well, I think that it's exactly as you said. Nobody should be surprised that we're seeing a a case here in the United States, and uh, it's as expected. This, when you see uh, something emerge somewhere in the world, it's very likely with international travel that we'll see it everywhere. We're still trying to understand a lot about this virus. And here are the things that we want to know. We want to know how transmissible is it. We want to know, does it cause more severe disease? And will it evade the, the immune responses generated by vaccines or diminish the effectiveness of therapeutics? This is all still up in the air. We don't have answers yet. So I think that the The idea is we should be concerned. We should have great situational awareness with testing and sequencing. And we need to wait and see um, until we really understand how significant this variant is and what it means for our response. Given the one case and the little we know about it, what can we glean from it? Uh, They think not boosted but fully vaccinated, mild symptoms and recovering. So that's good. Close contacts, they say negative so far. And then I guess in terms of the testing, this kind of works how it's supposed to, right? Obviously, if it's returned from travel, you have to test to get back into the country, but probably pass that one since uh, they're back in. But then got symptomatic and went to get a test instead of just, you know, walking around with a cough and saying, oh, it's a cold. Exactly. And I think that that's the key is that, that we, we really do need to understand just testing to get back into the country three days before arrival is not going to be a fail safe here. It's not going to it's not going to guarantee that we're not going to get cases. We know that the incubation period for uh, these the the coronavirus is anywhere between two and 14 days uh, and and most likely in that first week. So I think that that what we're going to have to really consider going forward is how do we um, how do we deal with this? It's it's not just people coming from South Africa. It's going to be international travelers globally. And and so I think that coming up with a way that we can uh, encourage people to test once they've come home and uh, potentially quarantine when they've been um, when they've been traveling internationally is going to be a good step forward. Let me ask you to uh, make a comparison for us, if if uh, I can, because I'm sure you remember what was going through your head uh, going back to the beginnings of the pandemic when we first discovered the first cases of COVID in the U.S. Uh, compare what you thought then to what's going through your mind now. But we know so much more about this virus. We know that it is spread from person to person asymptomatically. Uh, we know about the incubation period. We know that it is um, something that uh, is, is uh, spread through the air. Uh, we, we know so much more about this virus. And I think that if we really want to take the lessons learned here, we know that if there is an infection anywhere, it's potentially everywhere. So our keys are the, uh, let's be proactive and protect ourselves. How do we do that? 
Get vaccinated if you're not vaccinated. Get boosted if you are eligible and you haven't been boosted yet. Wear a high-quality mask if you're in public settings, in particular indoors. Um, be mindful of what your risk is, the risk of the people that you are close to, and what the rate of transmission is around you. I think we, we have all of the tools in place to be able to, um, to, to, to really protect ourselves, to protect each other, and to keep cases down, no matter whether it's the Omicron variant, if it's the Delta variant, which is, by the way, the most common variant, it is the dominant variant that's circulating right now. Um, it's, it's, it really, all of the things that we need to do are already in place. If Doc- we can actually do them. Dr. Ann Ramoyne, Professor of Epidemiology, Infectious Diseases, uh, UCLA's Fielding School of Public Health. Doctor, thanks. Coming up after this short break, a former FDA chief joins us to talk about Omicron and if we can stop it. With Omicron here and spreading, does it erase all the progress we've made during the pandemic? Do we have to start over? Or maybe we're in a better position now to fight it. Dr. Scott Gottlieb back with us, former FDA commissioner, author of the book Uncontrolled Spreads, Why COVID Crushed Us, How We Can Defeat the Next Pandemic. So, doctor, are we still at this uh, concerned but not panicked phase? We're still at the concerns phase. We don't have a lot of data on this new strain. The data that's coming out, I think, is hardening some of those concerns. There was a lot of data that came out of uh, South African public health authorities today. Uh, and as more data accrues, what's happening is some of our initial estimates on, on how transmissible this strain is have gone down over time in the last couple of weeks. But the estimates are still concerning and they're being hardened. So with more data, some of the assumptions that we have now are a little bit more certain than the assumptions we had two weeks ago. Um, and so what we're seeing is the potential that this strain is more transmissible than Delta, And that would be uh, concerning because its transmission potential is probably being driven by its ability to evade the immune protections that we've acquired through potentially vaccination, but certainly through prior infection. But I'm curious if the data that we have been getting from South Africa uh, is data that is applicable to other countries, in particular to the U.S., because as you know, uh, in in South Africa, the vaccination rate is is extremely low. Uh, they have a very young population compared to the U.S., so many people who uh, have not been vaccinated. So, is the so-called spread of this particular variant in South Africa necessarily something that translates here? No, it isn't, and that's um, you know that's the big unknown variable. And also, where is it spreading in South Africa? We don't know the communities in which it's spreading. Is it people who've been vaccinated? Is it people who are immunocompromised? Is it people who've just been infected with Delta and was relying on the immunity that they acquired through prior infection? I mean, it could it could potentially be be spreading in people who've been previously infected with Delta, but not necessarily a vaccinated population. What we do know is the rate of prior infection with Delta is extremely high in South Africa. So that's what's concerning, seeing a spike on top of the background of a population that's already been heavily exposed to some of the previous variants. So it suggests that at least on, on some level, this is escaping some of that, some of that acquired immunity. Um, the data itself also isn't um, very clean. So, you know, it's a little bit of the fog of viral war because we don't have data on um, the prevalence of this new strain. What else? There's other things that could be spreading. Is it all this strain or is it Delta also spreading and maybe C12, which is another variant that we've seen there spike up at various points. It did seem to be the case that they were having some kind of Delta wave when this all began. Um, But, you know, this is clearly spreading in the background 
You know, we mentioned already that in South Africa, the vaccination rate, those who have been fully vaccinated, two vaccines of Pfizer or Moderna, is fairly low compared to the U.S. Am I correct also that therefore we're talking about very few people who have actually had a third shot, a booster shot, so we don't really know from the South Africa data whether or not it is this variant is able to overcome not two, but three shots. Right. And there's reason to believe that the vaccines are going to be protective, especially um, a boosted vaccine. That's where there's a, a degree of confidence. And I'm on the board of Pfizer. Um, Pfizer obviously markets one of those uh, mRNA vaccines. And I've talked to people in and around uh, the development of vaccines, both inside the company and outside. And there's a, there's a reasonable degree of confidence based on just sort of modeling exercises and looking at this strain that the vaccine's are going to afford a measure of protection and maybe a very meaningful measure of protection. And again, you're right. This is spreading against a backdrop where you have um, very little vaccination in in certain communities in, in South Africa. You, you have high prior infection with Delta, so people do have some immunity. Um, you also have uh, a high prevalence of HIV infection in the, in the province where this is spreading most rapidly. So about 20% of the population in that province um, has HIV infection. So that also creates a vulnerability. So it's it's a different circumstance. I think the Merck CEO got a lot of people concerned when he was saying, you know, from whom I'm hearing from, it doesn't look like this is going to be good for us and we may need to retool the shots and you're not going to get the immunity. But if the third boosters work, what is the mechanism? Is it that they ramp your immune system up? It's not the perfect match, but you're on a way better plateau than you were before. If, in fact, the vaccines are more protective than um, natural infection with Delta, it's probably that the vaccines are inducing more of what we call a polyclonal effect, where you're getting a broader range of antibodies. And some of those antibodies that you're getting are still very protective against this new variant versus when you're infected with Delta, you're getting a narrow, more narrow range of antibodies just against very specific portions of the virus. Um, it's probably has less to do with the absolute level of antibodies that are being produced and more the breadth of antibodies that are being produced by the vaccine, the three doses of vaccine versus just natural infection. So far, when you talk to some of the um, experts in South Africa, and I've had conversations with some of them, their, their perception is that this new variant seems to be spreading in communities that are largely unvaccinated, but were heavily infected with Delta. And that's what first caught their attention because they saw clusters of cases in communities where they they felt that Delta had infected nearly 100% of the population. So they said something else must be going on here. Let's go back to vaccinations and talk about this overarching goal when sometimes we have these competing narratives. What should and what is the goal of these vaccines? Is it, uh, again, to keep people out of hospitals and keep them from dying? Is it to just prevent infections outright? Uh, What are we trying to do? Yeah, the goalpost should be to use the vaccines to prevent people from um, having consequences from COVID infection. So what are consequences? A serious illness, hospitalization, certainly death. Um, that's, that's how we initially thought of these vaccines being deployed. I think the fact that the vaccines were so protective for a period of time against infection um, has led us to want to use the vaccines also to eliminate the infection. But in the long run, we're probably not going to be able to do that. Um, there's going to be people who get vaccinated and then have breakthrough infections, but the presumption is that their infection should be far less serious. They should be at far less risk of a bad outcome if they've been vaccinated. But in the near term, we're trying to use the vaccines to kind of end this pandemic, to try to break off chains of transmission and, and use them as tools to try to prevent uh, infection 
if in fact this strain, and these are, this is very speculative, we don't know, there's some anecdotal reporting that this new strain is less uh, virulent, meaning less serious, it's causing less serious illness than the traditional COVID. If in fact that's true, and we don't know, it's, there's just some initial reports from some providers out of South Africa, then the idea of using the vaccine as a tool to prevent serious illness becomes even more attractive because if the illness is generally mild, what you want to protect against is the um, unusual circumstance where it isn't mild versus right now, you know, COVID is generally a a serious enough illness, even if you're not going to get really seriously ill and become hospitalized or succumb to it, it's still a bad illness that you want to prevent most people or a lot of people want to prevent themselves from getting infected with it in the first place. If it is that less virulent version, does that kind of play into the, you know, the Spanish flu school of thought, which is, you know what, there's a couple ways to end this. And number one is vaccinate everybody, but we're never going to vaccinate everybody. So you vaccinate a lot. And then uh, a lot of people end up getting this in one way or another. And for those who are unvaccinated, it's really bad, no matter what strain you get. And then for those of us who are, you know what, you got it, you either got through it and didn't notice or you had a mild case. And that's how this eventually burns out possibility um, that this could be a vehicle that um, achieves herd immunity, but it it presupposes that we're not going to see another variant behind this and another variant behind this and the immunity conferred by this particular strain is going to crowd out other variants and, you know, that it's going to be sort of the persistent strain. It's going to become the new dominant strain. We thought Delta would become, it would be the dominant strain. And then the question is, will this now displace Delta and what would displace this eventually? Is this country doing what it should be doing now uh, vis-a-vis the, the, this particular uh, variant. And by that, I mean uh, the restriction of, of uh, flights uh, from certain countries, South Africa in particular, of course. Uh, I understand there's some uh, 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 move to have testing done 24 hours before, perhaps that's already been implemented, 24 hours rather than three days before people fly into the U.S. Are these the measures we should be taking or should we be doing other things? No, I think we're doing what we should be doing. There's certain things we, in addition that we should be undertaking. But, you know, I, I take issue with the b- travel ban that we've imposed on um, African nations. I think it's counterproductive and you could have achieved most of what you wanted to achieve in terms of risk reduction by requiring people to be vaccinated and tested before they travel into the United States rather than a complete ban on travel, which I think is destabilizing to South Africa at the very time they need our support. But I think the one thing we could be doing more of right now is providing assistance to the extent that the South Africans will accept it on some of this surveillance work. Um, you know, we're not getting great reporting out of South Africa right now. They are overwhelmed in terms of trying to sequence samples and keep up with this. The fact that supplies aren't coming in because most supplies come in on the belly of commercial aircraft and commercial aircraft aren't landing there now has complicated things to say the least, for South African colleagues, physicians. So I think if there is a way that we could be supporting them so we can be getting this information more quickly, what is the true prevalence of this infection? You know, is it 50% of the cases or 100% of the cases? Get more samples sequenced. All of that could be um, improving our understanding of what kind of risk this poses. Dr. Scott Gottlieb, former FDA commissioner, back with us. Some states want to ensure that people who are fired over COVID-19 vaccine requirements in the workplace can collect unemployment. As of this month, Florida, Iowa, Kansas, and Tennessee have each amended their laws around unemployment insurance. Now, thousands of workers across the U.S. have declined to comply with vaccine mandates. The Kaiser Family Foundation poll finds that 5% 
of unvaccinated workers say they have chosen to leave their jobs rather than get vaccinated. States do have the authority to set their own unemployment laws. This is an Odyssey original. Find us on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Thank you.